Pride, podcasting from New York. They say, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries, where discussion and thoughts about simple and complex social interactions happen. My name is Sharif Rucker, an urban educator. Please join me as your host in having interesting conversations. Hey, this is my first broadcast, uh, and um, glad to have this opportunity to share and have these conversations with you. Today, I want to talk about a topic uh, that is a little unusual. Uh, it's called gender bullying. Again, it's called gender bullying. And the reason why I'm talking about this topic is that oftentimes we run into situations that we can't really explain or we have no solution. So I had one personal incident. I'm going to share the personal incident just to get this started, and then we can have a discussion from there. So the first incident I had was I was in a gym and, you know, as a uh, athletic male, I tend to uh, take some time to indulge the gym. You know, it's a healthy lifestyle uh, choice. It uh, helps me to relieve stress, uh, stay fit. Uh, it also encourages me to drink water. <laughs> and so those things are necessary. But anyway, moving on to the subject. So gym, I was in a gym. And I'm largely, when I go to the gym, I lift weights. And um, and I used to, I like to follow up with like stretching. And I needed to pick up a pair of dumbbells, or actually a single dumbbell uh, from another room. And this room uh, happened to be in a sort of like a studio uh, where they have aerobics and various other activities for women uh, to engage in. Uh, this class was going to start at about 7 p.m. I got into the gym around 6.50. And when I walked into the gym, I had my headphones on, you know, because I, I don't like to be disturbed when I work out. I like to be in the zone. I have my music, and I don't like to hear weights around me. I don't like to hear weights dropping. I don't like to hear conversations. It's really distracting when I'm trying to move through, you know, a focused uh, workout. And so I get to the gym and into this uh, next room, the studio, and I've been down to pick up some weights, and I can see a physical movement behind me or a presence behind me kind of standing over me. And I look over my shoulder and the person is mouthing something to me that I can't really read. And so I lift up my headphones and I say, yes. And it's, it's the gym instructor. And she says to me, um, you know, we're about to have class. And I say, yes, I know. I'm just going to pick up these weights here and I'm going to leave. And I put my headphones back on, and she's still talking. So I said, I, I could hear, I could see her moving, her gesturing. So I, I turn around, and I look over my shoulder, and I say, hey, um, yes? And she said, I need you to hurry up and go. I need you to go. I said, excuse me? She said, I need you to go. Hello? Hello? We're having class. What are you doing? Just go. Just go. I said, go. And she was waving her hand at me toward the door as if it's like to get out. So I look around the room, and I see about 15 women looking at me. Now, what am I supposed to do in this situation? How do I respond? So what I did was I simply picked up the weight and left the room. But I'm really, really upset, fuming, trying to figure out how do I respond to this. Because in my mind, this was an attack for no reason. In my mind... Totally unnecessary. Your class hadn't begun. When I walked out the room, the class hadn't begun yet. 
how am I supposed to respond as a male in a room full of women? So that's how I'm going to start today. So that's one incident. I'm going to go with another incident just to give you two incidents that you can share in. I went to a movie theater. I was in a movie theater and I went to see Endgame. Very long movie. Pretty good. Long movie. And I tend to fall asleep <laughs> in the theater when there's really long movies. Now, I don't know how many of you out there like me in terms of falling asleep, a dark, a dark theater, you know, the air conditioning running. You know, you get a little cozy, you bring your jacket, you snuggle up, especially if you have one of those theaters where the seats recline. You tend to want to relax. And so I'm sleeping at the theater, and I must have dozed off for about maybe five minutes. The, the movie had begun. We're about 15 to 20 minutes into the movie. Everybody pretty much has found their seats. No one is moving. We're comfortable. I fall asleep in this theater, and I wake up to a woman snapping. She's snapping her fingers. She's standing in front of me. And repeatedly for me to wake up. Now, the way the chairs recline, I'm pretty tall. So being that I'm over six feet, my feet stretch out till there was a wall in front of us. And so there's no way she can really pass that way. So, of course, she has to wake me up. So I look up. And, you know, when you, when you come out of a sleep, you're kind of drowsy. And you're really not aware of what's going on initially. And she's snapping her fingers for me to hurry up and move my feet. But she couldn't wait. So she then decided to push past my legs while I lay in, in, in an inclined position. Um, and I was kind of surprised. You know, there was a couple next to me with his family. He looked at me, and I looked at him. I said, well, you know, what's going on here? She walked by with two young boys. Now, how was I supposed to respond to that? But this didn't happen once. This happened twice. Now, mind you, this is a theater that has two aisles, one on the right and one on the left. I'm sitting in the, min in the middle of the aisle, in the middle of the row. So there's, there's, there's the opportunity to, to enter the seating area one of two ways. I fall asleep maybe after about 30 more minutes. She's snapping and she's clapping her hand. Now, the movie is going on at this point. We're, we're about, you know, I would say almost an hour into the movie, and, and she's clapping her hands and snapping. And I look up again, and I move my feet, and she walks by. Okay, I guess good to go to the bathroom. She comes back, but this time I'm ready because now I'm really aggravated. I want to say something. And she, I move my feet, she walks by, sucks her teeth. Now, I'm upset during the entire movie. You know, I can't even concentrate on the movie. I'm like, why, why all of this? I, you know, I came to the movie in peace. I paid my money. I was comfortable. And this person really, I allowed this person to take me out of my, um, my peaceful zone, or my peace zone, or my comfort zone. The, before the movie ended, I guess about 10 minutes before the movie ended, this woman decided to leave with the two boys. It's ironic in that when she left, my feet are outstretched out again. And she says to the young boy, she says, say, excuse me. The boy says, excuse me, and walks by. Now, you could imagine my face. 
because that should have been the example she should have shown those boys in the beginning. That didn't happen. And so those are two examples that I have of gender bullying. And the reason why I describe it as gender bullying is because these are two examples where I was confronted in somewhat of a physical um, and aggressive manner from an opposite sex, and it happens to be a woman. Now, if the roles were reversed, it would be clear that I was bullying as a male or I was trying to intimidate, you know, by one, engaging in your personal space and a woman's personal space, um, two, in my body language, and just my aggression. So what I'm saying is that I would have been received correctly, whereas in, in uh, this role, which is opposite, we tend to see uh, if, it's, if it's a woman, we start, tend to see it as, well, you know, we make excuses. Well, she's cranky. Well, she's, you know, whatever excuse we, we use to um, simplify, relate to sexism, we tend to do that. I decided I'm not going to do that. But I needed some sort of emotional relief from that experience. I needed some way to let go. I needed to express how I felt. I needed to, in a sense, fight back and establish my space. But how could I do that as a male and not seem intimidating? You know, it's kind of remind, it reminds me of when um, President Trump was running against Hillary Clinton. And there was a moment when they were standing on a stage and Hillary Clinton was, was speaking and Trump decided, I guess he decided to stand up while she was speaking, and he stood over her. Of course, because he's extremely tall, and uh, Hillary is, you know, of average size for a woman, and so he towered over her. But that that moment, in, in, many's eye, in many people's eyes, made him seem presidential, made him seem larger than life, made him seem like he was the most qualified um, leader of the, of the free world because of his stature and because he how he towered over her and he made her look small. Um, and just his physical, and just that physical illustration. So I say that to say that me standing up or how I chose to stand up needed to be thoughtful. It needed to be measured in order to be successful. So let's go to gave you my personal incident, uh, personal incidents, um, and I want to go to you know some of the things that we say that lead to an unfairness in how um, the standards for men and women. And I, my focus on this podcast is is not uh, we we we're very clear on how there are biases and. Um, discrimination and unfairness and, and glass ceilings for women because that information is readily available on the internet. Uh, it's extremely public. Um, there's lots of research to back it up, but I think sometimes we get so caught up in the research of, of how um, women are being uh, overlooked, treated unfairly, that we tend to 
um, forget that it happens both ways. And so I wanted to give you two examples today in this podcast of how that happens to men. Those are only two examples, but there are many other ways that this happens. Um, let's talk about the quote, happy wife, happy life. I've always disagreed with that happy wife, happy life. Um, what does that mean? I mean, does that mean that unless my wife is happy, that I have to uh, forsake my happiness and my pleasures and my identity, that I have to move in, 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 in a very careful way so that uh, I don't violate uh, the, uh, the, um, the build of her happiness or the build of her security in the relationship. I think, you know, that's an unfair analysis. I think that's an unfair statement. I think that when we live in that way, then one lives as a hostage. And in any relationship, we don't want to live as a hostage. We want to make sure that uh, there's a certain amount of independence and dependence in a relationship. I'm not going to get into what a married life means, but I think that um, the happy wife, happy uh, analogy or quote or statement has uh, expired in this day and time. I think people are more conscious about who they are and, um, and people are in a pursuit of finding more about themselves and self-discovery and, and, and happiness and, and, and um, health management in, in both in a physical way and in, a, in an emotional way and a spiritual way as individuals. And I think that people are looking for added value. They're not looking for a burden. To me, when I say happy wife, happy life, that sounds like a burden to me. That sounds like, why should I? Because this is more work for me. Why am I going to take on more work? Um, you know, is this is this a shared happiness or is this uh, some sort of indentured servitude? Are we dealing with um, collaboration? Or are we dealing with um, equity and not equality? Because equality is based on you know, uh, measures of the same thing. And I don't think uh, man and women are the same. And I don't think any man and woman is the same. I don't think any women, any woman to the next woman is the same. I don't think any man to the next man is the same. I think we're all individually and extremely different. And so I think that, you know, it's about equity. And it's about collaboration. You know, it's about uh, shared happiness. And not indentured service. But I think that, you know, these mixed messages, you know, happy wife ha leads to a happy life, often leads to false cooperation when we enter those relationships in that way. I think when we don't know how to communicate with one another, male and both male and female, and we don't learn how to disagree uh, because our cultural norms have set it up that way, as women essentially being uh, 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 fragile and uh, ultra-sensitive, you know, to criticism, has made it a, a, a very difficult way or a barrier to communication. But I think it goes both ways. I think it goes that way for men, and I think it goes that way for women. I think especially now with, with, with identities being extremely flexible and people redefining themselves and how they want to relate and become intimate, I think we have to reconsider how our cultural norms and how we get along with one another and how do we... Uh, collaborate and how do we interact and how do we communicate this speaks directly in the face of of what we're about of what we established ourselves to be 
you know, um, there's another sexist belief here. I'm going to give you another statement. Uh, the real power of a man is in the size of the smile of the woman sitting next to him. Again, here's another statement or another sense of mindset that speaks against the balance between the value of a man, of both men and women in a relationship. This speaks to, you know, a, I should say, um, sort of like a settling or a not being present. Someone else is more present than the other person. To me, it's, it's, it's more myth than reality. Um, I think many relationships don't work because the myth is that one party has to be happy, and I think that that's, that's the myth. The myth, you know, in order to break that myth, the reality is that both parties have to be happy because both opt in or both opt out. If one opts in and the other opts out, then there's no relationship. They both have to opt in. But even if one opts out, there's no relationship because one is, is engaged in investing in and the other is investing out. So we've created a false reality and in the pursuit of a happiness that can never be reached. Because it's not about real balance. And today, you know, when we talk about marriage and we talk about the roles of men and women in relationships, we have no modern definition of that. We've evolved from what a man is and what a woman is. Those definitions of a man, you know, being of a man, I should say, of a man being insensitive and uh, protective and uh, strong. Those are not real. Those are not realities today. Men are very different today. Men are very built very differently. You know, there was a, at one time, you know, it was known that men were head of households, leading households financially. Today, we know that's no longer true. They, you know, you know, glory, glory be to God that you know women are are are, are especially in some cultures, outperforming uh, men and doing well and becoming leaders of the industry and are are are, be, are becoming the breadwinners of the household. And so those 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 social or those cultural dynamics for for the household has changed, but again we have no modern definition. Even the church is not in alignment to that to the new definitions today and how households are running, and what's really happening inside of homes. And so people are kind of crafting, are uh, moving without any definition or uh, uh, defining structures for how a household should be how to manage together, how to collaborate, how to raise children. All of those definitions are being questioned today. All of those definitions are being challenged because they're no longer valuable, right? They're no longer relevant to what's happening, right? And so we have to do some work. You know, the way roles are changing today what men used to do, they no longer do. Many of the roles that men used to do, women are doing. And many of the roles that women are doing, men are doing. It's like a role reversal. Now that changes the narrative. If that's changing the narrative, where do men fit in the new narrative? How do we redefine where men and women exist in a relationship? How do we redefine where men and women exist 
in parenting. How do we redefine how we communicate? Where do we fit in a marriage? And again, in this podcast, I'm really talking about the role of men. In terms of a shifting mindset and going back to some of the things that we got to think about and consider, we have to talk about what does it mean to compromise and have tolerance. Now, you know, tolerance is all over the place today. But I'm talking about in a traditional makeup and definition of a man and a traditional makeup of a woman, where do we preach compromise in today's society? Now, for those who are deeply religious, we know where we can find those answers. But those people that are operating, and many people are operating outside of that, out of outside of religion. Where did they find those definitions? How did they define or create compromise? Who's communicating the narrative for tolerance? Where are they getting that information from? Because I believe happiness in any relationship is a moment-by-moment choice. Fawn Weaver describes it, describes it as a decision of love. Forgive, grow, and grow old together. That's a happy marriage. In relationships between men and women, how are we communicating in a way that we're standing on the same ground, there's equity in the conversation, and there's tolerance for our differences, our biological differences, without it going into muddy waters of things like sexual harassment, right? So the way sexual harassment is designed today, it's somewhat one-sided. It's built largely on the violations against women. But sexual harassment goes both ways. I've been in many situations where I've been harassed by women and I've been harassed by men. But it's harder for men to cry out for support and help from the powers that be because it's not the way we would define. It is not the narrative or the traditional narrative that we were raised on. But again, I say the narratives have changed today. We are not living in the same narratives and the same definitions. We're living in different narratives, different definition. And so many of the roles that we used to play, we don't play anymore. How we describe, how we were once described, we're not no longer described as. And so how do we have equity and enforcement of things like sexual harassment? How do we shift our mindset if we don't change the narrative? If we don't redefine the roles and responsibility of men and women. And is it as clear as that in today's time? What is clear? What is a man today? Let's get 10 people to agree to that from different places and different spaces of life. Let's get 10 people to agree to the, the narrative or the definition of a woman. What does that mean today? How does that play out? And I'm saying all this to say to my personal experiences in the beginning is when we get into situations of conflict and gender bullying, 
and 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 in this case, the the one being bullied is the is the male. How do we respond? Right? How do we respond? How do we shift our mindset? How do we create equity and fairness? How do we pick a seat and not a side? How do we do that? How do we pick a seat and not a side? Where do we create the fairness? So let me follow up to that, that gender bully conversation. I don't want to go all over the place. So this is how I handled the first situation. So the first situation that happened in the gym, what I did was I felt very upset. And I said, I'm not going to let this go. I'm going to have a conversation with the manager of the facility. And I said to the manager, listen, this is what happened. I'm very upset. I'm embarrassed. I pay my dues like everyone else here. I shouldn't have had, should not have had this experience today. I don't like it. And would you please have a conversation with her? And she said, yes, at the desk. And I said, fine. And I went back to working out. I didn't see her for about two weeks after that. And when I got into the gym, she walks over to me. She says, you, you, I want to speak to you. So, okay, here we go. <laughs> I said, yes. And she says, well, you know, how come you went to the manager and you complained about me? How come you didn't have a conversation with me? And I said to her, and she had, she actually, went, and when she came to me, you, 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 she brought another woman with her from that class. And so already we're, we're, I'm in a defensive mode, but I said, I'm not going to, I can't respond to this in an aggressive manner because where is this going to get me? Now there's two women here, one is a witness and there's me. And I said, listen, I would have wanted to speak to you, but I don't know you. I don't even know your name. And I felt like your approach was hostile. So I had a conversation with the manager who I asked to mediate this. Yeah, but you got me in trouble. You got me in trouble. You didn't have to do that. Why, why would you say that? I said, because I don't know you. And, I, and then I said to the third party, and I said, listen, um, put yourself in my shoes. I'm a male. How could I have responded to that situation? If I had confronted you in that room and argued with you in, in a room full of women, I would have been immediately called out as the bad guy. It would have been the most the dangerous situation that I could have created for myself. There was no wins in that confrontation. So why would I do it? Now, most men would have fallen into that trap and left frustrated, victimized, bullied. Although I felt bullied, I felt some, vic uh, some vindication that I was able to express my concerns to someone and someone did something about it. So that was one learning. That was one learning against bullying. The other thing was, she says, you could have waited after. And I said, well, I was there on a timetable. And so when I was done, I was ready to go. And I was at the, I was, I was at the conclusion of my workout. And she said, well, you could have waited. And I said, but why would I wait? when I was upset. So now I'm premeditated. I'm soaking, fuming, ready to explode. I'm going to have a conversation with you. That one probably wouldn't be the best idea. So I decided, let me get off my chest, unload this, and move on. 
And she said, well, you got me in trouble. You'd have to, you could have said, I said, I could have said something to you, but I didn't know you. Now I know your name. I apologize if I got you in trouble. That wasn't my intent. But I felt like I was being bullied. I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't made to feel comfortable in this space that we all share. And so the, the other woman, amazingly, she said, you know, he's right. There's no way he could have won that conversation. If he tried to challenge you in that room before all of us, it would have been a loss for him. If he waited till the after, it could have looked like intimidate, intimidation or some sort of harassment. So how could he voice his concerns without going to another party? And she looked at her and shook her head, sucked her teeth and walked away. But I've seen it ever since and we're, we're cool. It's no problem. We say hello, we understand each other, we move on. Now on a second incident, that I couldn't handle. I had to eat that one because I didn't know the person. She was a stranger, she left early, there was nothing I could say. Um, and I really have no answers for that. Um, it was inappropriate, it was dark, it was a quiet time, the movie was playing. I don't know how I could have confronted her or challenged her. She had two little boys. Um, she was very hostile. I didn't know how far it would have gone. I could have said something to her. She could have gotten uh, combative and, uh, you know, it could have led to something else. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to open that Pandora's box. But in that situation, I want us to all think about how would you have handled it? And for women out there, if you were a man, how would you have handled that without it leading to some sort of confrontation and disturbance to everyone else in the theater? I still don't know that answer. You know, but everyone tells me, oh, man, you just got to eat that, man. You got to eat that. And that's, that's, why should I eat that? It's not okay. That is an example of being gendered bully. Because I couldn't communicate. I was stuck in a role, in a narrative that I had to play out. I had to be aggravated. You know, and I think that a lot of the uh, conflicts that happen between men and women that lead to violence and leads to disrespect and leads to um, unhealthy situations deal with the fact that we don't know how to communicate. We also don't understand that, they, that we have to have a shifting mindset, that we have to redefine ourselves, that it's okay for men to be emotional Okay for men to show self-control. They were not quick to go to war. Those are real narratives today for men. Those are changing narratives. How does that play out in daily life? How does that play out in our casual relationships? How does that play out in our intimate relationships? the changing narratives. So I tried to go online and I tried to research. You know, Google is your best friend. And what was so, so disturbing was when I looked up gender bullying, 95% of the, I would, no, I would say 98% of the research that comes back is one-sided. It's about 
women being bullied by men. And I can count on multiple hands how many times I've been bullied by women. Whether it was a supervisor or someone who held some power or was it, you know, a, 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 someone I knew in high school or was it someone I knew in college or someone at work or somewhere or another, if you really think about it as men and women, if you think of it as women, there have been many times that as a woman, you've bullied multiple men, whether it be through the system, through brothers, through through promotion or whatever whatever it, it, it was, you know that you've bullied in that situation. And men, we have to admit, we've been bullied too. You've been bullied and it's not okay. It's not okay because of a narrative that doesn't work today. A narrative, a narrative that's not legitimate. And we know that they, you know, we 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 try to do a broad brush in terms of, uh, we look at feminist perspectives and we look at the, the slights by uh, slights against women and men. But we know that culturally, a lot of this, a lot of those, those ideas are not relevant culturally because they're not the same. You know, we're talking about largely um, uh, white audiences and we're talking about uh, white males. You got a different story there in terms of uh, the, the need for feminism and the need for. Um, equal rights but we know that you know especially as uh, black men in this country black men have been displaced from their homes from you know the essence of the beginning of slavery and it continues today so we know that that is not the narrative we know that in, in, in some cultures some cultures they, you know that, that women are, 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 are valued as the, as the head of households and, and the spiritual holders of, of families and that's real. And so those narratives that have brought brush into defining how we should be and, and creating some of these policies that, that we have in this country are not representative of everyone. There are some nuances to the way we live in cultures. The narrative is not the same. It is not the same. When we talk about minorities... There were a lot of minorities in that category. And men of color are part of that narrative. Men of color are part of that narrative. Equally a part of that narrative. Of being left behind. And not represented. So let's go into some sort of bias. Let's go into some examples of biased opinion. There was a civil case against J.P. Morgan. Derek Rotundo was represented by the American Civil Liberties Union against J.P. Morgan. He won a settlement for $5 million dollars. And the reform that they were pushing were gender-neutral banks. What happened here was, um, which is happening in many, country, uh, many companies today, you know, 
when you had a baby in your household, um, the mother was the one that was usually uh, given the time off. And that makes sense. That makes sense. Because biologically, she is doing a heavy lift. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, that mother or that wife also is in need of support during that time. And if you are a person with children, whether male or female, you know that raising a child takes two, especially when you got a newborn baby. There are a lot of details and a lot of things that go into that. And the learnings are the same. The curve of learning is the same. The supports are the same. That's why oftentimes that even though you have two parents involved with raising a child, you also get grandparents involved with that. An extended family. Because it's still too much for those two. Mother and father. Now let's talk about that. In the old narrative, fathers could not be nurturers. Fathers were looked at as someone working outside of the household, doing the majority of their time outside, coming, they would grunt and have a beer, throw their feet up, woman, give me something to eat. That was the narrative that was described on television, unfortunately. That narrative has, that narrative has expired a long time since now. That is not the narrative. What I see, if you look closely, I see fathers as nurturers. And I also see fathers as also single head of households. It's not only mothers now. Single fathers too. I was one of them. So back to this case. In 2018, well, let me, no, excuse me. Back to this case, let me just say that, that Derek Rotundo won $5 million in his settlement against J.P. Morgan. And what he won was, not only did he win $5 million in the settlement, but he, he won the right to stay home when he gave birth, when his wife or when his family or his household gave birth to a new child. He won the right as a father to stay home and to see that child through the first days of his life as a father. As a result of that, in 2018, 35% of companies offered paid leave for mothers and 29% for fathers. That number is still way too low. But that's what we're working with in 2018, 35 for mothers and 29% for fathers. Now, we're not talking about civil servants. We're talking about private companies. We're talking about corporations that have yet struggled to find the value of childbirth. People are still struggling to push the cooperation of corporations in this matter. And those numbers are still not the same, which also speaks to the narrative of the values of mothers and fathers and having children. This comes from Bloomberg News, May 30th, 2019. Take a look. The other thing here is when we talk about gender bullying, 
Many of the institutions that support the structures of our family and the makeup of what life should be here in terms of the standards in American culture are not gender neutral. They're in fact, they're gender biased. The number one, the number one offender of gender bias is family court. Especially regarding custodial disputes. The number one offender is family court. Now, family court, they've been authorized to preserve the family. To find the greatest compromise to offer the most benefits to the children. And we know that in this country, that is not true. We know that the last place you want to go to resolve your issues with custodial rights and parenting is family court. And I'm not only talking about custodial issues. I'm talking about when parents come to schools and they say, I need a PENS petition, and they want the city to take over custodial, custodial rights for that child. When that's done, we know that's a sure sign that the next stop for that child is prison. And we know that the standard for family court, the standard thinking for family court is one, that any man entering that courtroom is guilty. Two, that most of the people that will be seeking support in the family court will be batted single women. This is the, the, the popular thinking. This is the institutional investment in gender bias or gender bullying. Let's talk about something else. What about Mother's and Father's Day? The values and the importance we put on Mother's and Father's Day. The equity in those two days. And how industry moves around those days. Just take a look. Just be observant. Just go to the mall on Mother's Day and go to the mall on Father's Day. Tell me what you see. Let's talk about, you know, the Bible story concerning Adam and Eve and the gender bias. In this case, I felt like the gender bias was against uh, both Eve and Adam. You know, Adam wasn't smart enough to say no. <laughs> Eve was weak and said, let's try this. What are we talking about here? That is a defining narrative of how men and women are supposed to be built. Defining characters, characteristics based on the makeup of Adam and Eve. Is this true? Is this the narrative today? 
are we moving away from this narrative? Are we contradicting the narrative? And lastly, my last example in terms of an institutional investment to gender bias or gender bullying is the nursing profession, the nursing and teaching profession. Why can't men take up nursing or more men take up teaching? Because they're not nurturous, because they're not loving, because they're not patient. This is an old narrative that define these roles. What are the narratives today for men and women? How do we adjust those narratives? How do we adjust to those gender biases? How do we change the way we define roles and responsibilities for men and women? How do we change the narrative for, from traditional child rearing to how we raise children today? How do we change those social norms? We have to have these conversations because they're leading to a whole lot of trouble in our households, leading to a whole lot of trouble in our relationships. They're leading to a whole lot of troubles in terms of how we interpret and create public policy to regulate people's behaviors because we're not normed to any single idea about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a wife, what it means to have a relationship, what it means to disagree as men and women. How do we enforce equitably between men and women issues of sexual harassment? How? What's the answers? I'm not so sure that I have them. But I'd like to share that food for thought with you. And express that bullying can also be done against men, women, children different gender identities in bullying there's equity everyone can get it but how are we addressing it in our enforcement equitably I'm not against what's, what's happening for women in terms of enforcement and protections. No, I'm not against that. I think it's a good thing. I'm not against the success of women and upward mobility that's happening today. I'm in full support of that. What I'm against is the fairness 
of how we treat men in this changing narrative. Thanks for listening to Pushing Boundaries. If you like my show and want to know more, please reach out at pushingboundaries.transistor.fm or email me at p-u-s-h-e-n boundaries at gmail.com. 